0: Hey, Business Lunch listeners, welcome to today's episode. And on today's episode, Ryan and Roland cover the next step in the seven levels of scale. If you haven't listened to the episodes on the first five, definitely go back and listen to those so that you're all caught up. And if you want to take a free assessment and get a downloadable workbook on how you can move from level to level, go to getscalable.com download. That's getscalable.com download. Thanks again for joining us at the table. We're going to get in today's episode of Business Lunch right after this.
1: How much more successful would you be if you had lunch with insanely successful
0: entrepreneurs who shared their biggest secrets on how they think and achieve success? Well, now you can. Here, successful entrepreneurs reveal their step-by-step strategies and other fascinating stories. So grab your seat at the table, because this is Business Lunch with Roland Fraser and Ryan Dice. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Business Lunch. I am Roland Fraser, and my wonderful eye candy Co-host there is Ryan Dice. (laughs) How you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing
1: great. I feel bad for all the people just listening on the podcast who don't get to see the eye candy. Unfortunately, we are also on on YouTube, so so yeah, so that's so we got that going for us. We got that going for us. So I think we're still talking. we're, We're we're talking seven levels. Is that correct, Roland?
0: We are. And today, I believe we are on level six, which is one of my favorites, talking about acquisitions. Do you want to do a quick recap of the of the other five?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So just kind of if you're a new listener, new viewer, what we have been talking about over the last few episodes is this overarching framework that we created called the seven levels of scale. Everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants to scale, but nobody's really put forth a specific step-by-step. This is kind of the order of operations that scale happens in. And so we wanted to do that, right? Because oftentimes we've seen people get things out of order that right? they'll try to over systemize and bureaucratize a business when they still need to make you know, money or they're still trying to pursue growth at the expense of systems. So we wanted to create the step-by-step and that's what we did. And so those seven levels are level one is you need to sell and serve 10 customers. That's it, right? You, you don't have a business, you don't have anything until you have sold and served 10. So that is level one. Once you've sold and served 10 and they're happy about it, you ascend to level two. At level two, the goal is to build your growth flywheel. This is when you get out of uh, the launch hamster wheel. Uh, This is when you're no longer dependent upon merely the one-off referral. This is when you have a just consistent, predictable, repeatable source of new customers. That is what level two is all about. That's what a growth flywheel is all about. Once you have that, you jump from level two to level three. Level three, you need to upgrade your business's operating system. At this point, the operating system is probably... You, uh, you're doing everything. We need to get you out of the the center of the business, build those systems and processes around you uh, so that you're no longer that bottleneck to growth and scale. Once that is in place, and we've got a very specific process that we uh, teach for how to install business operating systems. But once you have that operating system in place, you then are what we call a scalable business. You are now able to scale. And that's when you go from level three to level four. At level four, your goal there is to double your take-home pay. Right, to to double your bankable profit. So now we're gonna shift into how do we accelerate our profits? Once you've done that, then level five is to build your board. Here it needs some support around you, support of mentors, peers, strategics, maybe even the occasional influencer, but you gotta have a board that is there to support you and your goals as it relates to the company. Once you have that, you go from level five to level six which is to complete an expansion acquisition. So we'll talk uh, about that. And then, of course, level seven, our favorite level of all, that is when you hit your number, right? The number that you set, you hit your number, and that's when you can begin building wealth as an entrepreneurial uh, investor. So those are the seven levels of scale. And what we've been doing the last couple episodes is just talking through each one, devoting an episode to each one. And this episode is level six, which is completing an expansion acquisition. Which last I checked, Roland, you know a thing or two about. How many acquisitions have you been involved in over your career? I think we're pushing over a thousand at this point. So it's been—I've been a long career, though. So. <laughs> Yeah. No, those of you who don't know, uh Roland's pushing 90. Yeah. So started back in the Truman administration, I believe. No.
0: Anti-aging stuff going on, some experiments, yeah. uh went out to yeah. uh, area, you know, 50, I can't say. And, you know, so some cool things happened. Then there was that deal with Satan that you made. That was also
1: uh <laughs> boy, you know, you know, you talk
0: about negotiating.
1: <laughs> that guy. No, in all seriousness, you you've been able to all deals with Satan aside. You've done so many deals for obviously the businesses that we've been involved in, we've done, you know, a fair number of them, but in a previous life, you were an attorney. So your background yeah. is, is on the legal side. So you got to see uh, behind the scenes of a lot of these deals, how they're structured, how they're negotiated, the deals that go well, the deals that don't go well. Also, I know been an entrepreneur even before then and saw deals happen. Oh, yeah. And so you've been in the trenches more than just about anybody else uh, I've ever met. So we're going to talk about this, but just know if This is kind of your first time listening to us. If you've never heard, if this is the first episode, you're, you're in for a treat you should go back and listen to some other episodes. Cause if this idea of, of acquiring businesses and assets and things like that appeals to you, we're going to touch on it here, but I think it's safe to say that you've talked about it a time or two before on this podcast.
0: Is that accurate? We have indeed, yeah, and interviewed quite a few people who've done uh, those kinds of deals, both traditional mergers and acquisition deals, and also no money out of pocket deals, and also consulting for equity. So we've got lots of different categories of how you can how you can do these. And I'm I'm just about I've got one I haven't added to the list yet, but I'm at 219 different ways to do that now. So we're about to cross into 220. So it's like there's no limit. It's only your creativity. And as new situations arise, then of course we share them on the podcast. So good to subscribe. So you don't miss out on any of that.
1: Yeah. So make sure you subscribe also shameless plug. We do almost not every month, but at least every other month, uh, you run a five-day challenge called the Epic Challenge that is all about kind of the, the, the nitty-gritty of, of what we're going to talk about here, and that's right. it. getepicchallenge.com. Yeah, so if this appeals to you we're going through that, that'll be a good next step, but kind of, I guess, first question I have, and, and I know we've gotten this question from our clients, we're talking about scale and specifically scaling your business. And a lot mm-hmm. of people say, like, I could see acquiring a business to get into business, I could see down the road, maybe doing certain acquisitions, but like really having this as an, as a level, like this being one of those critical essential stages. I know it's even something that I questioned when we were working Mm -hmm. through this. So why do you believe that acquisition, right? And this concept of expansion acquisition, so not acquisition just to get into business, but acquisition for people who are already in business, why is it such a critical aspect of scale?
0: Yeah, um, so it's not, and it's not just my belief. The nice thing is, is that the data supports it. Uh, McKinsey did a study of about eight hundred of their fastest growing clients, and McKinsey's one of the top, top, top consulting firms uh, on the planet. And what they found was that mergers and acquisitions was the fastest way to grow a company consistently, and that it absolutely needed to be part of the growth strategy of all of their clients. And so that's pretty cool that, that like the data supports that. And, and it makes sense because if you want to double the size of your business literally overnight, you can simply go out and acquire another business of an equal size, which that's the simple way to look at it. What I think a lot of people miss out on though, is that if, if you're thinking about why do you want to grow? Like why do you want to grow and, and how do you want to grow? Well, I want to grow to achieve my goals. Okay, great. What can help you make that happen? Well, the easy thing that most of us would know about if we went to any kind of business school would be what they call a horizontal acquisition, meaning that you acquire your competitors. Because obviously, if you acquire people who are doing the same thing that you do, providing the same product or service to the same audience, then that's a direct competitor. And you'll reduce the amount of competitors and you'll increase your market share. So if I want to increase my market share, I like to look at acquisitions as what goals do I want to achieve? I want to increase my market share acquire a competitor that could be a direct indirect could be a substitute or replacement product. It doesn't have to be like the exact product or service to the exact audience. It could be a replacement or substitute product to the same audience, or it could be the same product you provide, but to a different audience. So there's a lot of combinations to mix and match right off the bat in talking about how can I acquire competitors and that's going to get you market share, which is cool, but maybe you want to acquire to solve a challenge that you face which is currently constraining your growth. The most common one of those would be, I need more leads. I need more customers. Well, if I need more customers, yeah. I definitely need more leads. So you can buy the customers directly by acquiring the competitor, but you can also acquire the media that already exists where somebody's already aggregated the attention and eyeballs of your ideal customer. Like, I'd love
1: for you to Paul, like, for, give an example because... We're marketers. Like, I, I mean, yep. in, for most people, they would know me as a marketer, you know, first. That's, I've been playing a marketer on TV now for a couple of decades, right? So so people are gonna be like, ah, oh, you know, I'm sure, you know, Roland and, you know, Roland Frazier, Ryan Dice, you know, Richard Lynn, these guys own digitalmarketer.com. They don't need, right. why, why, why? So why would we, you know, ever need or want? We're, we're good at this marketing stuff. We can go generate more, you know, leads and customers. And yet we've gone the acquisition route. So can you give some of the examples of, you know, how we, and maybe even some of the businesses that we've been less directly involved in. So everybody understands yeah. what they mean by that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, that it's also like, what if you're, if people would ask themselves, well, why would digital marketer need more ways to get leads? I mean, we're always looking for more leads, right? right. It's so, yeah. We're, we're and and we're not constrained. Like we look across channels. We look at TikTok and YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. We look at Google. We look at so that's platform channel. But we also look at organic, like organic versus paid, even on those channels. There's SEO. There's uh, social organic. There's paid. So we're tr- you know we're looking everywhere. So one of the places though that is one of the richest veins of customers is that if we can identify as we teach a digital marketer our ideal customer, our avatar, then we go out and find somebody that's already gathered a whole bunch of those people and we acquire that. Well, if we can acquire that asset for less than it would cost us to acquire all those customers individually, we just made a great deal. So if we think about, maybe it costs us $10 to acquire a customer and we want to acquire a thousand customers, that's $10,000, Let's right? And, And if we could go and acquire a group that's got 50,000 or 250,000, like one of the acquisitions that we was at 250,000 member group that was our exact perfect customer and we acquired it for $1,500, right? That's a pretty good that's a pretty good deal. And particularly in light of everything that's happening, happening with privacy, Facebook, I know Digital Marketer just released an article on all the changes in Facebook that are happening this month, all of the targeting options that are going away, all the changes that Apple is doing. And now you can sign up. Apple is literally saying, we will put a fake email in there for you, right? So that people can't capture your data. It's getting harder and harder. Google continues to uh, stay the execution of the third-party cookie, but it's going to happen. They're going to be forced to do it. And so as all of that happens and all the rules get tighter and tighter and tighter about what you can do, if you can just go out and get a handful or a whole bunch full of your ideal customers by acquiring some media, like a Facebook group, a LinkedIn group, a podcast, anybody that's already aggregated those people that are your perfect people, then that's a really smart thing to do. That's why we would do it. Like our other businesses, we've recently acquired about, I think we've, I think we're about 12 dog lover groups that are on Facebook for our, one of our companies that sells products to pet owners. So we're acquiring groups of German shepherd owners and dachshund owners and so on and so forth. So by breed, and then like one of those groups is generating about a hundred sales a day, right? That's pretty great. Like, so we pay almost nothing for that group and now it's generating hundred sales a day. And it's a place where we can continue to build relationships and rapport, and we have that audience that then we can offer to other people as part of the deals that we do. So that's that's like a really great way to do it. Our real estate business, we went and acquired the second largest group of real estate agents online, and that added at the time about fifty or sixty thousand real estate agents. And our businesses make money by acquiring new real estate agents. So like that's a dead on customer for us. And we've grown that group to close to a hundred thousand now. Like that's, that is a fantastic way for us to get leads. So we're doing this very regularly. We've acquired podcasts, we've acquired Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, all across the board, lots of websites that we've acquired, products that we've acquired, like anything that's already got our customers attached to it.
1: Yeah. I know last year, the hustle was acquired by, which is a newsletter. It's an email newsletter. It was acquired by HubSpot. Why? Because HubSpot didn't really have an email newsletter. They've got lots of organic, but they didn't have a really strong email play. The Hustle had a very popular podcast that I'm guessing HubSpot realized that those are some of our customers. We can can buy the asset for less than it would cost us to build the media or buy advertising on the media to acquire the same number of customers. And what's great is you own it. it it's better connected. You can actually see a higher conversion rate because it's, it's not just advertising on another channel. And yeah. what I love about this idea, because you're right, everybody thinks about acquisition for the sake of just expanding our market share, which is an aspect of scale. Because we're talking about mm-hmm. why should somebody, why is level six such an important level? But it's this thing that we're talking about here that I think is gonna be most applicable the acquisition yeah. of media in a world where media is getting more expensive to advertise. Cause if you think about it, historically, if you wanted to get attention, you either had to buy it or you had to earn it. So you had to buy advertising or you had to do some kind of PR, what now would be like maybe content marketing, uh, SEO to earn it. And all of those different channels are getting more expensive, more complicated, more crowded. And so a faster play, in in more cases in in a lot of cases a more economical way to get that same media to, to simply acquire the media and and historically media companies don't sell for super high valuations they don't make as much money so i think there's a really phenomenal arbitrage play here to build up brands and to acquire the the media that you would traditionally advertise on. We've been saying it for years. We did an entire conference on it. Last I checked yep. back in 2016, nobody was listening to us then. Yeah. 2015. Yeah, yeah, you're right. 20, nobody was really listening to us then. And and now all of a sudden we're seeing the big SaaS companies, the big e-com companies out there doing what we were talking about doing. So, you're also
0: seeing this like, like for business lunch. So for everybody that's watching, watching or listening, we are in the process of reducing advertising slots because This is an asset that we've built ourselves. And so we want a better user experience for you. And we don't want it to be cluttered with ads. So we've got advertisers who've built their entire business based on the ability to advertise on this podcast. And that will be going away for them. And I think that just as you're seeing with a lot of the A-list stars and things like that, more and more creators are determining that they should have some sort of ownership in the things that they are promoting. So if you see The Rock and Reese Witherspoon and uh, George Clooney and Kylie Jenner, right, all of these A-list actors and celebrities who are saying, well, Rather than me being a spokesperson for your thing, I want to own your thing. I think you'll see more and more media owners thinking that way too, which means that ad inventory is going to decrease, which means that the more of that media that you own directly, the better. Now, the good news, as Ryan said, is that the prices for these things, particularly micromedia and mid media, as opposed to mega media, right? Like the prices for that small micro media. They're like basically can, free. can you define Most that, Roland? People, micromedia, w- w- what's an example of micromedia? That's like,
1: yeah, an individual to me, podcast, that's, that's like Facebook groups, that's uh? going
0: to be Facebook groups, podcasts that are that are under, say, 100,000 views per month, that kind of thing, where you don't have a huge audience. Huge audience things they tend to be their own business and they're valued around 5x on EBITDA right now. I think you typically see those going for so, so like, so let's say something's generating, somebody's already got something and they're selling ads and it's generating. $300,000 a year, if it's a bigger thing, you're gonna pay a million and a half dollars for that. But if it's a smaller one, and let's say it's under 100,000 downloads a month on a podcast, or it's it's under $100,000 a year in revenue because uh, the people who are running the Facebook group or the LinkedIn group or the Instagram channel or YouTube channel have not done anything to really significantly monetize by selling products or services, then those are typically going to be acquirable at one year's profit and the profit's going to be next to nothing. They probably started that thing as a passion project, which is great because they were into it and they built a great following and people are loyal and engaged. And so those are typically acquirable for next to nothing as, as we know from our own experience, right?
1: Yep. So the, so I would look to acquire to increase market share, I would look to acquire to increase media exposure awareness, basically leads. get more leads in sales. Yeah. Then some of the what other reasons. What are ways? some other reasons?
0: Yeah. So so the others would be, I need infrastructure. Like I don't, I, I've got a business that's growing, but I can't find the talent and teams fast enough to support the growth that I'm experiencing. Great problem to have, but also scary problem to have because we've acquired lots of businesses and poured on the marketing and then the wheels fall off the business customer service suffers and that can be very brand damaging to you and then ultimately why did you grow because you can't support the growth so there's a whole concept called aqua hiring to go out and acquire assets or divisions or entire companies simply to acquire the talent that they've got, and As we see the great resignation with millions of people leaving their jobs and going for other things, I think it's going to be harder and harder and harder for us to to retain the great talent that we want. So if we can find teams that are already working, and we did that when we needed a software dev team, none of us knew how to build software. So we're like, let's go acquire a software company that's already got a dev team, or let's acquire an inbound sales company that's already got a sales team. Those can be critical or we're always looking for operators. So if we can acquire a business that has a great operator already attached to it, and then that person runs the thing that we acquired plus our company that didn't have an operator at the head of it, then that solves that challenge. So that's a really, really good reason to acquire and and quite applicable right now in these times in particular, right?
1: Yeah. So the so walk me through uh, the process, right? Let's say that I bought into this and I'm and I'm thinking, okay, I want to get into this acquisition game. I want you to walk me through the process. But before that, because I think still a point of belief that people might be thinking is, I, I can't afford it. Like there's no way yep. I can I can afford do it. And, and so I, I will say, number one, there's a reason this is at level six and not necessarily level one or two, right? So there's an assumption that you do have a bit more profitability. You've got, you've got some cash flow, you, you've got uh, some history there. Also you're going to be able to plug this in and hopefully ROI it almost immediately if, if not within the first kind of 60 or 90 days. But even if I'm still struggling a little bit there, could you speak to number one, what type of investment does it look to acquire? And I know it's wide across the board, but what what is something to spend? and then just walk me through the process because I think once people get okay with maybe this is something I could do, they'll be open to the process.
0: Yeah, I think that it doesn't really, like traditionally, it's going to require you to go and probably come up with 20 to 40% down. And so if you're buying a million dollar asset or business, then you're going to come up with somewhere between $200,000 and $400,000 to do that. And then you're going to get financing with personal guarantees from a bank or a credit union, or maybe you're going to go to, if you're in the United States, the SBA, the Small Business Association, or there similar organizations in other countries and so that's a that's a very traditional deal, but there's a lot of creative deals that you can do as well. So I mean, the truth is that that you can start here and then go back to level one. So you can start at six and then go to one because you can acquire whether you've got cash or not. And so one of my favorite challenges is to acquire businesses with no money out of pocket. That's what we teach at, at the getepicchallenge.com site. And, and so it's basically just identifying the categories of companies that you are interested in acquiring, and then identifying the specific potential candidates there, and then reaching out to them and having a conversation with the owners about the possibility of an investment. An investment can mean cash in the traditional deals, but an investment is generally anything where you're providing capital to a company. And if you look up the definition of capital, it's basically, it can include cash, but it's really resources or things of value. So that can be your intellectual property, your sweat equity, your operational skills. It can be money from other people. And then one of the things that I did quite a bit of in the eighties was that was the era of leverage buyouts. And so what I thought was really cool about leverage buyouts is that there were companies that were buying other companies and paying for them just with the assets and income from the company they acquired. And so that's a very cool strategy that you can apply as well. And so how would that work today?
1: Can you give me an example of like, or a case, you know, hypothetical even?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just straight out, straight out case study is looking at, and we've, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people do deals like this, but one of my favorites is the largest deal that's happened so far was a service provider company that was an insurance service type company. And they were interested in acquiring agencies to expand their business. So they're looking at how can I acquire a team of people to expand the business? And they found an agency that was marketing in their area of expertise. And so they approached them and that company was doing about $20 million in profit in EBITDA. And they acquired that company using no money out of pocket. So that was an 88 million dollar, it's 88 or 89, I forget, uh, million dollar acquisition that was done without any money out of pocket because they basically were able to fold that company into their company and say, hey, here's the direction that we're looking at going. We want to bring you in. And they, they were able to do it with a combination of stock and, and some other things, you know, strategies that we use. Like that's a, a big deal. A small deal is we just acquired a, a CRM off of Flippa in one of our programs that, that was listed for $8,000. We acquired it for 5,000 and we simply pre-sold to 10 people that were interested a $500 lifetime membership. And so we got in the money to to complete the acquisition, all cash, no money out of our pockets, and then you own a CRM and you've you've got 10 customers that are great, who love it, but they funded the acquisition of the company. And then there's everything in between.
1: Yeah. And I love that. It's an important distinction because when somebody hears no money out of pocket, that can sound like some kind of scammy late night uh, infomercial real estate kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what you're talking no, about. You're saying you as the entrepreneur don't necessarily need to bring your own money to it. Money, correct. capital can come from a lot of different sources. It could be that you're bringing your own talents. I know we've acquired companies because they just knew that if if their company was in our portfolio and if we were doing right. our respective voodoo to it, that it'd be worth more, right? So yep. we didn't need to bring money to the table because we brought ourselves. Now, even yes. if you're not um, somebody who can do that kind of thing. You don't have the brand, the network. Uh, What you described is a great one, pre-sales. I've known people, we have a mutual friend who did an acquisition and he pre-sold a sponsorship to Mm -hmm. this kind of, it was an event type type program. He pre-sold sponsorship and that covered what was effectively the down payment. I think he brought in another outside passive investor to cover the rest. So by putting this deal together, his company received the full benefit of the asset, didn't have to come out of pocket at all. So right. sometimes you got to put in a little, but I think a lot of people see this as this binary thing where yeah. they're either going to look for just an awful crappy business that somebody's willing to give it to them because it's just so toxic, right? Or they got to come completely out of pocket, write a big check, go into all kinds of debt, take on lots of personal guarantee. And the reality is is that most of the deals that get done are not in those extremes. Most Correct. of the deals that not just from in our world, but they get done, they're more creative. And so yeah, looking for and those I think it's an important, important
0: distinction between no money down and no money out of pocket. And so the reason I stress no money out of pocket so much versus no money down is no money down typically means that the seller is not going to get anything at closing. And those right. are very, very hard deals to do because right. most sellers who have a profitable company want some cash at closing. Now they might not want it all. They might not need it all. There are situations where they want to defer it for tax reasons and other things like that. But There's going to typically have to be something at the closing that the seller is going to be able to put in their pocket. So no money down deals are usually very, very small and not as quality a company as other deals, right? No money out of pocket simply means that there will be very often, almost always, as a matter of fact, cash going to the seller at closing and significant cash. But it's not coming from you because we've identified other places, 219 of them, that you can go and draw from without having to use your cash, without having to use your personal credit to do it, and without having to go through a bank. Like Banks aren't one of my strategies. right? I don't use banks. So banks and credit unions and uh, those things, they're harder. The deal terms are tough. They put these restrictive covenants in that constrain your ability to move and do things. And typically, they want personal guarantees, which I just don't want to give.
1: Yeah, happy to sell to somebody who's using a bank, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, on the on the buy side, uh, the goal is to get more creative. And look, we're all entrepreneurs here. If there's one thing that we should all be comfortable with, it's about being a little bit creative, being a little bit scrappier. Yep. So just to kind of like, I, I guess, tie this um, tie this up, level six, kind of once you're past level three and you are scalable, right? You have increased your, your bankable profit. You've built this board around you. These things, and then and now you're beginning to look for expansion acquisition opportunities. These things are all kind of happening in and around the same time. And, right. and this is where having a good solid board of advisors can be incredibly helpful because when you talked about the steps, right? It's identify the need, right? A good kind of board of advisors is gonna say, hey, what's holding you back? You don't realize it, but you got a people problem. You're trying to throw more marketing at this. You got a people problem. You got to get different people in. And if you can't hire them, then I know this business over here that they got a product problem. Like they got great talent, great people, they can't get the product built and you got this. So with your powers combined, this is where building your network, having advisors, other entrepreneurs that you're talking to, people who are are looking at thinking in terms of deals and in terms of assets and in terms of acquisition, not just in build, build, build. That's the mindset. That's the mentality that you need and that's going to maybe serve you well in the early days. Although yep. you mentioned it, Roland, plenty of people acquire a business and then go through the seven levels and really six happens after you know, as almost step one. But yeah. it's it's gonna come from the identification of the need, the identification of, you know, the industries and the possible opportunities, help and support with negotiating. This is one of those areas there's a reason it falls after the building of an advisory board. Because this yep. is something the first go round. It's not something we'd necessarily recommend just doing it all by yourself and seeing if it works out. It's fine if you do, but boy, we're talking about some big numbers here with lots of zeros. So any other kind of tips, things, Roland, that we should uh, mention before we close this out?
0: Yeah, I think that the other challenge that a lot of people face when they're thinking about acquisitions is that they just say, I need to get something. And they don't really take the time to set their acquisition criteria. When you're looking at a level of private equity firms and family offices and investment bankers and things like that, they're, and even corporate acquisition teams, they all have acquisition criteria. So you want to think carefully about what is it that I'm looking for? So maybe it's, maybe it's I'm looking to solve a lead problem or a team problem or innovation problem or whatever, and, and different types of acquisitions can satisfy that. But even more specifically, I think thinking about what's the strategic value of this to my business beyond that is this a company that's a leader in its in its area does the culture of this group of people that might be coming along with this mesh with our culture is is it something that's going to that that's going to have systems that are compliant with our systems is like, that. Is it going to be a really hard thing? Or is it important to us that they can plug and play and they're using some of the same tools and systems that we're using? I I think a lot of those kinds of things are important. And then even terms of performance, what is the level of, of sales and profitability and growth velocity that this company or asset that we're acquiring needs to have for us to have it move the needle for us? Because if you go out there looking for anything, you'll find it but it might not be a fit. And one of the biggest challenges post-closing is this thing we call integration. And integration is when we're bringing these assets into the mothership, when we're bringing them together, whether as a merger or as an acquisition that might be tucked into the company we've got. So it's important that you do think about acquisition criteria as a filter so that as you start to build deal flow, you won't just close every deal that comes along because particularly when you're learn- when you master no money out of pocket, anything is possible, right? You can acquire, we've had people that acquired 16 companies within a week or two of going through our program on how to do it. And then it's like, well, wait a minute, how are you going to run 16 companies that are a pet store and a e-commerce site and a SaaS and none of them are related to each other. That's hard. So, so that's, I think that's a big, important tip to think about
1: too. And it's also not just a filtering mechanism in terms of making sure you don't buy the wrong company, do the wrong acquisition. I've also seen people in our, in our community and in our world saying, I, I just can't find any deals. Right. And it's amazing how often we'll say, well, what's your acquisition criteria? Like, oh, well, I'm kind of looking for a business that's a bit like mine, but it's like you, the answer is they don't have one. And yeah. just like when you decide that you're going to buy a particular car, we've all had this, I'm thinking about buying this new car. You start seeing them all over the place. Right. Right. I think that's right. like, what is it? The reticular activation system, I think is what that's called it. Google it. I, it is really a thing. I didn't just make that up. It's a, it's a thing. And, and so when you decide ahead of time and this isn't like some woo woo law of attraction kind of thing, this is just when you decide ahead of time, what you're looking at, what was just noise becomes signal, right? What was just this thing that, that was out there in the, the general ether, you now see it in a crowd because that's what you were looking for right? You, you were looking for Waldo and there's Waldo. And so, so much of the process, if you feel like you've been stifled in the past, or if you're worried that you might make a bad deal, something that everybody can do right now is to begin to build out that acquisition criteria. You can inform it over time, perfect it, talk to other people. This is where again, mentors can be very helpful, but that is something I think if you're looking for one action item, whether you're at level you know two or level five or level six, uh, I think that's something that everybody could do.
0: Yep. Love it. I think that covers that for today. So that's level six in the seven steps. Next time we will do level seven. And if you're enjoying the podcast, definitely subscribe so you don't miss out. Particularly when we're doing series like this, you want to get noticed so that you know not to miss level three or level five or level seven without having to go back and listen. And also if you enjoy this, we'd love for you to give us a five-star review. Just uh, whatever podcast platform you're on, click the review, tell them what you like about it. And that would always be very appreciated. And we love hearing That that kind of feedback means quite a bit to us as well. So that's it for today. We'll see you next time. And we will be covering level seven. Ryan, you want to give a peek at level seven? What's level seven? Level
1: seven is the best. Level seven is when you're hitting your number. Uh, You're living what you refer to as what we call your level seven life. And uh, you are at maximum peak option. You can exit or not exit. You can do the work that you love doing, but um, we got to know what it looks like so that we know when you get there, you don't want to always be resetting the goalposts. We're not celebrating. So yeah, that's what we'll talk about next time is what does it look like to hit level seven for you? How do you set those goals? And then what do you do once you hit it uh, so that you continue to, to just stay inspired and motivated?
0: All right. We'll see you then. Thanks guys. you've been listening to business lunch with Roland Fraser. if you're enjoying the show let us know by subscribing and leaving a review and for more information go to businesslunchpodcast.com thank you for listening